Take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter number 18. Luke, chapter number 18. And I think that most of you have figured out by now that most of the preaching that I do is expository. I love opening up the Word of God and going down verse by verse, even sometimes word by word. Um, but there are times when I will preach a topical message, and that is what today's message is. So for those of you who do not like topical messages, tough. Okay, For those of you who like topical messages, enjoy. All right, But let me tell you where I'm coming from with this particular message. I obviously was thinking, praying about all that the Lord has uh, done this week as far as through the messages. And He's kind of brought me to this message this morning. I, I want to kind of tie up everything from the week um, by, by talking with you about the theme that God has given to me to give and use at BIMI this entire year. Our theme, if you saw the BIMI World Magazines, uh, is all over the front of those and has been throughout all the publications that we've done this year. Our theme is Achieving the Impossible Because God Can. Think through that with me. And, and really, this year, I've really been, uh, I've been challenged myself by that theme. And I, and I really try to keep that in the forefront of my mind and everything that I see and even the things that I preach and the things that I study and I read, I, I kind of take it through that filter of achieving the impossible because God can. Understand, we're not saying attempting the impossible. There's a difference. Indeed, when it comes to the Great Commission, if we're obeying God and doing what He has called us to do individually and corporately, we are indeed achieving the impossible. But again, I, I make mention of this. It's not we and us in and of ourselves who are achieving the impossible. We're doing so because God can. We can't, <laughs> but God can, and I'm thankful for that. So as we think about the example of Esther, she was given an impossible thing to do. But she achieved the impossible because God could and God still can. Uh, you know, we yesterday thought about that yoke that Jesus says, hey, come, join with me in this yoke. Wow, that's an impossible task that he's asking us to do. But we can. Why? Not because we can, but because he can. And so as we think about broadening that out to the Great Commission, really think about this with me today. What God has commanded us to do, to go into all the world to preach the gospel, the Great Commission, we just heard about it in song, and we've heard about it all this week. Let's just be honest. Humanly speaking, that is an impossible task. But God can. And that's what's encouraging to me. So with that thought in mind now, Luke chapter number 18, I'm going to begin in verse number 18. The Bible says, And a certain ruler asked him, saying, that is, the rich young ruler, we often refer to him as, speaking to Jesus and says, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? By the way, great question to ask. So he's starting off good. Verse 19, And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one that is God. And he said, Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. By the way, let me just stop for a moment. I find it interesting here, and I, I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but it's okay. 
Isn't it interesting that when he says, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus did not say to him, well, just repeat these words after me. Jesus held up the law. He held up the scriptures and said, look into the law. You first have to see yourself as a sinner. So as he says that, you see the response and we know where he is spiritually when he says in verse 21, he said, all these have I kept from my youth up. So as he looked into the law of God, he did not see himself as a sinner, sadly. Verse 22, now when Jesus heard these things, he saith unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. The Bible says, verse 23, and when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And the problem was not that he possessed riches, but that the riches possessed him. So from this, then Jesus says in verse 24, when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he was very, that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, who then can be saved? And by the way, if I were standing there listening to all of this happen, I probably would have had that same response. For a camel to go through an eye of a needle? <laughs> that, that's impossible. Who, who then can be saved? But I love Jesus' answer in verse 27. And he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this account that you had with this rich young ruler. Lord, help us now to learn from it and help us, Lord, to see you as the one and only one who can accomplish the impossible through us and how you want to do that. Lord, I'm, I'm asking right now that you would accomplish that through me. I'm laying my body, myself, on the altar. I want to be a living sacrifice. I want to be wholly acceptable unto you. And so, Lord, please allow that to be so. God, I pray that you would use me now in a way that is way beyond myself. Lord, please make this time now of eternal benefit to each and every one. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When we think about achieving the impossible because God can, I, I first of all want to start with a, an additional thought to that, and then I want to come back to it as we close out the message, and that's this. Although God can, that does not mean that God always does. Okay, And that's important for us to remember, and I'll, at this point all I'll say is hold that thought because we will come back to that. Now, if we're going to achieve, if, we're go, if we are going to achieve the impossible, how is that going to happen in our lives? What are some things that need to be true of us? What are some things that need to happen to see that play out in our lives? Well, there's three things that I want you to see this morning. Number one, we must see our weakness. We must see our weakness if we're going to achieve the impossible. And again, let's come back to that great commission. Mark 16, verse number 15. Jesus said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, just stop for a moment. That's a verse that I dare say probably everybody here could quote. You know that verse well. How many times have we heard it even this week? 
And it's a verse that sometimes can again become trite. We can just, oh yeah, go into all the world, preach the gospel, every creature. Stop and think about this. If I were to quote that verse this morning and it was the very first time you ever heard that quoted, what would you think? You mean we are to go into all the world and we're to preach the gospel to every creature? I think our response would be, that's impossible. How can we do that? Because of two main things. And I, and I just want to give each of them to you. Number one, he said all the world, not just part of it. You know, if we could just pick out, well, this is a needy spot and this is a needy spot. Let's concentrate on these two places. No, Jesus said all the world. And when we think about all the world, just a couple of thoughts here to help us kind of take this into our minds. That, that encompasses about two hundred different countries in our world. Look around. I don't know if we have 200 here, but we're somewhere in that general area. All right, so if each of us went to one country of the world today, we've got it covered, right? I don't think so. 200 countries of the world. So also the number of cities, there are approximately 10,000 major cities in our world. Look around. We're not anywhere close to 10,000. We've got a long way to go. And then an even greater, I think, obstacle to overcome here, there are approximately 7,000 different languages that are spoken in our world today. So even if all of us went to one country, that means that some of us would have to learn a whole other language to go along with it. And then we would not even be scratching the surface. All the world. But then he also says this, every creature, not just (laughs) those that we can happen and hope to come in contact with, every creature. We're to give the gospel to every creature. And we've talked about this week already, 8 billion people in our world today. Let that number sink in just for a moment. It's a number, honestly, I can't wrap my head around that number. That's just way too big for me. But in, in, in the progression, how do we get there? That's a lot of people. I, just stop and think about this. I wrote this out just so we can think about this this morning. In the year 1820, there were one billion people on the wor- in the world. In 1930, there were two billion people in the world. Now, 1960, so I have finally hit a date where probably there are several people in this auditorium who remember 1960. You were around, you were born, okay? So in 1960, there were 3 billion people in the world. So hold that number, but just follow me here. In 1974, there were 4 billion. In 1987, there were 5 billion. In 1999, there were 6 billion. In 2012, there were 7 billion. And finally, at the end of 2022, we hit 8 billion people in the world today. Here's the point I'm making. In this room, in the lifetime of many who remember back to 1960, do you realize that the world has increased from 3 billion to 8 billion people? It's growing fast. Thus, the need is getting larger with every passing day. The Great Commission is all the world and every creature. So here's the challenge, if you will. Maybe we could say even the problem. The challenge is, number one, the harvest. We've already talked about it. 
it's plenteous. The harvest truly is plenteous, Jesus said. And I think we see that as we just think about those uh, population numbers that we just gave. It's overwhelming to think about the 8 billion people in our world today. But not only, number one, is it plenteous. Number two, it's white. White unto harvest. What's that mean? It's ripe. It's ready to be harvested. And I got to tell you, there are some parts of the world today where it's not just ripe. It's rotting in the field because it lacks for laborers. The need for laborers to go to those places where it is so plenteous and it is so ripe and ready for reaping But not only the harvest, number two, the harvesters. We've talked about this. Number one, obviously they're few. Jesus said, and we've read this before, therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Think about the numbers we just talked about in the world today and the number of laborers that there are. You know, I I really have no idea how to tell you how many independent Baptist missionaries there are in the world, (laughs) but it at the very most, would number in the thousands. Not even anywhere close to hundreds of thousands, yea, even millions or even billions of people. There is a great need for laborers. And again, we talked about the need already, and again, I emphasize that, and you'll see throughout this message today, I'm just re-emphasizing much of what I've already talked about. Jesus said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. And again, I challenge you with that prayer. Here's something, your Bible college students, you like to do this kind of thing. As you read throughout the Gospels, write down as you go through how many times Jesus very specifically says, I have a prayer request. This is what I want you to pray about. What's very interesting is I I think Jesus could have come up with 10 or 20 or 100 or 300 or 500 different things because I think Jesus prayed about a lot of things and there's a lot of things that are important to our Lord. But I think you'll find as you do that little study, as you read through, there's one time, one request that Jesus very specifically says, this is what you need to be praying about. Pray, pray continuously for the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. You know, if Jesus narrowed it down to one very specific request, I really do believe he wants us to pray for laborers for the harvest field. So they're few. When we think about the harvesters, the laborers, they're few. Number two, they're incapable. We can't do it. It's impossible in and of ourselves. We read yesterday, John 15, verse 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. But then he says this, for without me, ye can do nothing. So we are indeed incapable in and of ourselves. So if we are going to achieve the impossible, number one, we must see our weakness. We cannot do it. And you might say, Brother Snyder, you're, you're kind of contradicting yourself. You know, all week long you've been saying, hey, we can do this. Step up to the plate. Let's do it. Yes, but it starts with this. When we go to the Lord and say, I can't do it. When we say, hey, I, I, I see my weakness. I see the impossibility of this task in and of myself, in and of my own strength. So, number one, we must see our weakness. Number two, obviously, we need to seek God's power. We need to seek God's power because when we see our weakness, we realize I can't do it. Only God can do a task like this. And we need to seek his power to accomplish that. So in seeking God's power, here are four thoughts for you. Number one, we must 
proclaim our weakness to Him. Once we see our weakness, number one, let's, let's proclaim our weakness to Him. Let's, let's say, Lord, I can't do this. I uh, remember when I was growing up, there were a lot of times my dad and I, we'd work together on things. And we, uh, for those of you who care about things like this, for those of you who don't care, just hold on for a second. But for those of you who do care, when I grew up, our family car growing up, all of my life, was a 69 Chevelle, two-door hardtop. Dual exhaust and glass packs. It was wonderful. So for those of you who don't care about things like that, it was maroon. Okay, that was the color. All right, just, just follow me here, okay? And so when we had this car, you know, all the time growing up, it came originally with a 307 in it and three on the tree. Again, for those of you who care about things like this. And we do a lot of work on this car from time to time. And, you know, I would learn a lot. And there were times where uh, we would pull the carburetor off for those of you who remember when cars had carburetors, okay? And, and I'd take that carburetor, I'd put it out in the workbench, and I'd tear that thing apart because I'm going to rebuild it, put all the stuff back in there that need to be in there. And I remember there were times when I'd work on stuff like that, and I'd, I'd be working trying to put it back together. And, you know, there was no YouTube that you could pull up and say, man, I messed up. How does this thing go back together? So I'm standing there, you know, and I'm trying to figure it out, looking which goes here, and I laid this in this order, and this is how this, you know, and Dad would come in, Dad would check on me, see what I'm doing, you know, making sure I'm doing everything right. He'd be watching me, and, you know, and I'm trying to figure it out, and, you know, oh, man, I just, and I'm just frustrated. And it's just, and finally I say, Dad, I, I don't know how to do this. And Dad would say, well, it's really kind of easy. You just have to put this piece here first, and then when this goes into place, then this falls in here, and this, and I'm like, why didn't I tell him before that I couldn't do it? Why didn't I ask for help long before this? And I wonder how often God in heaven watches us, his children, and we're trying to do what we're supposed to do. And sometimes we get to that point where I just can't do this. And God's saying, anytime now, just ask for help. Just tell me you can't do it and I'll be right there to tell you what you need to do. You know, it's, it's not about a plan and a program. Sometimes we figure, hey, I've got this figured out. I can go to YouTube. I can go to Google this and I can figure out how to build a church. I can figure out how to win souls. I can figure out how to do this. I'll just follow these steps. A, B, C, one, two, three. No, it's not about that. It's about us saying to God, God, I can't do this. You need to do something that I cannot do. It's not about trying harder and working smarter. You know, I thought about two biblical examples. I thought about Peter and Jesus. In Luke chapter number 5, the Bible says, And he entered into one of the ships, that is Jesus, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left saying, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. What's he saying? Jesus, we can't do this. We've tried all night long. Hey, we're fishermen. We know how to do it. And we've tried everything that there is to try. And we can't do it. He proclaimed his weakness to Jesus. Nevertheless, he said, At thy word will let down the net, singular. And when he had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. What made the difference? Jesus. Because Jesus makes the difference. When they finally said, we can't do this, Jesus said, okay, now I'll do the work for you. I also thought about when Jesus heals the boy with the unclean spirit. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. 
And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. He says, Lord, I believe. I believe it. But, but there's this unbelief in me. Lord, help me. I can't do this. Have you ever been there, Christian? Lord, I, I want to believe. I, I want to do this. But Lord, help my unbelief. Proclaim your weakness to him. He'll be there. He makes the difference. So, number one, proclaim your weakness. Number two, partner together with Him. Partner together with Him. Again, if, if I can go back and use that illustration of when I was growing up and working on vehicles, we, uh, in that Chevelle, we ended up changing out 307 because it wore out. We put in basically 350, and we changed it from three on the tree to four on the floor. For you who appreciate that, that's good stuff, okay? We enjoyed that. But, you know, I remember that when I was younger, you know, we were going we to change out the transmission, let's say. And, uh, okay, well, this is great. We're going to change out. And we got it all done, you know. And basically, I watched Dad change the transmission. I helped a little bit here and there. But, you know, when I went and talked to my friends, yeah, <clears throat> I, I changed out transmission in our car last week. <laughs> really? No, no. <laughs> it was a partnership. You know, Dad's the one who really did the work. Dad's the one who had the knowledge of how it should be done. I was learning along the way. Eventually, I could do it. But at that point in time, hey, it was Dad who was doing the work, who did the real work. Can I remind you of our message yesterday? Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Jesus is saying, here's the yoke. Come, get in. Walk with me. I'll show you how this needs to be done. We'll find out it's not us who's doing it. It's us who's learning as he does it as he accomplishes that work in us. And what a privilege it is, 1 Corinthians 3, 9, that we are laborers together with God. But God's the one who's really doing the work. So proclaim our weakness to him, partner together with him. Number three, perform all things through him. That is through his power. Um, this ties very closely to the, the uh, point we just made, but... It's his power, but he does expect us to do our part. And I don't understand how all of that works out in eternity. I'm just glad he gives me the opportunity to play a part. Um, again, can I just go back to that illustration? I, I remember there were times when there was no transmission or engine in the car, and we had to push the car somewhere. And, you know, here I am, this little boy, and Dad says, okay, get with me. We're going to push the car. We're going to push the car into the garage so that we can put the engine back in. And, you know, as a little kid, I'm there, and I am just pushing with all of my might. But it's really my dad who's pushing the car in. But we get in, boy, yeah, we got that done, didn't we, Dad? You know, I wonder how often we say, well, God, aren't you glad you had me so we could get this done? <laughs> no. It's a matter. God uses us somehow, some way. I don't understand it, but I'm glad he does. But everything we do should be done through him and through his power, through his strength, because we really have no strength at all. Jesus said in John 15, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. And it's so important that we abide in him, his strength, doing things in the power of his might, Ephesians 6.10, knowing that the only things we can do is through Christ, which strengthens us as we are strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. But 
there's a, a fourth thing I want to point out here when we talk about seeking God's power. And maybe it's the most important of the four I'm going to give you. Proclaim our weakness to Him, partner together with Him, perform all things through Him. Number four, pursue a deeper relationship with Him. You know, one of the things that I learned growing up is that I had, as I had the opportunity to work alongside my dad, and he taught me so much. Sometimes basically the only thing we talked about was what we were working on at that moment. But most of the time there were other peripheral things that we would talk about. And I'll tell you what, what an amazing time it was to develop that relationship with my dad. And become closer to my dad because of having accomplished whatever it was that we were working on together. You realize that one of the best times that you and I have to develop our relationship with God is while we are working together with Him. Fulfilling His will. Doing that which He has called us to do. Watching Him do through us that which we cannot do. And you know, Psalm 105 verse 4, think about this verse. Here's what the psalmist said. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face evermore. There's a progression in that verse. We seek the Lord. Yes, we understand that. And yes, number two, we seek His strength. And we do that because we need Him. But then he says this. Seek His face evermore. And we should seek His face because, well, we love Him. You know, I remember with my boys growing up in our home, there were times where Dad was busy. And they would want to talk to dad, get dad's attention. And sometimes dad didn't pay attention like he should. And, you know, one or both of them would come over and tap me. Hey, dad, dad. (laughs) And if I still didn't turn or whatever, you know, there were times where they're like, dad. And they would try to turn me because why? They wanted to see my face. They wanted to be face to face with me because they knew when they had that eyeball to eyeball contact, they had my attention. And, you know. That's the way we should be with God. And the great thing is we don't have to tap him. (laughs) We don't have to try and turn him. We don't have to pull his coattail. He says, come boldly. And we should cherish that time when we have, if you will, face-to-face time with him through prayer. To deepen our relationship with him and the walk that we have with God. Let me read this to you. I think it's good. Just let this sink in as you hear this. Before we can ever expect great things from God or attempt great things for God, as William Carey said, we must have a meaningful relationship with God. Listen, the degree of what we accomplish by the power of God is rooted in the depth of our relationship with the person of God. If we go out to fulfill His will, to do what He wants in our own power with no relationship with Him, He's going to say, okay, do it on your own. By the way, every time I've done that, it has turned out to be a mess. But you know, when I truly seek Him, seek His power, and seek His face, and I know what He wants for me, and I know what He wants in whatever it is that we're working together on, oh, that makes all the difference in the world because that's when he steps in and he accomplishes something that's way beyond.
beyond myself. Oh, how important it is that we seek God's power. So, see our weakness, seek God's power, but if we just stop there, we've missed it. Here's the third point. Strive for the impossible. Say, what do you mean? Strive for it. It doesn't just get dropped in our laps. It kind of goes back to that put feet to your prayers. Put your faith into action. Strive for the impossible. Why? Because it is God's command. The Great Commission, we call it, is not the Great Suggestion. It is the Great Commission. And you know, of all the things that we could today maybe argue about or talk about from Scripture that, well, is it this way or is it that way or is this a gray area or is this... Hey, listen, this is as black and white as it gets. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. That's pretty simple. And that's the kind of things that we really need to focus on as Christians. These are, that are black and white in Scripture. Let's get busy. Let's get it done. He said to go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Bear fruit. Make disciples. In other words, plant churches all around the world. It's his command. But number two, because it's his plan. This is the way he has planned it. I don't know, to be honest with you, I don't know why God has in his plan to use me or to use you. I'm just going to be honest here. If I were God, I, I would have come up with somebody else besides me because <laughs> I fail way too often. But God has chosen, it's his plan to use us. Listen, he can do it all by himself. You, you realize that when we went through the book of Esther, that God could have struck Haman dead? He could have just done that and avoided all of the confusion and the, the, the scariness and the fear and the approaching the king and all of those things. But God had a reason for all of it. And God could have done it by himself, but he chose to use Esther. I don't understand why, but I'm glad that God has chosen to use you and chosen to use me. God could have struck Goliath down right there in the field just to show his power. But you know what he did? He chose to use a little shepherd boy named David. That's an amazing thing to me. The spies that went in to spy out the land, God could have protected them in whatever way he wanted, but he cho chose Rahab the harlot. Why? Because this is the way God does things. He uses people. The foolish things, the weak things, the base things of the world, the things that are despised, those are the things that God has chosen. Those are the people that God has chosen. You know, I, I love this thought, and I just want to share this with you. One other thought here. The feeding of the 5,000, it's an amazing miracle. I love that miracle. I've, I've had to actually, ha I've had the opportunity to be on a boat on the Sea of Galilee and they showed us a place where they assume and think maybe that the feeding of the 5,000 took place. So I have that picture in my mind right now and I, and I think about all of those people and you remember there's more than 5,000 there that day and those disciples were given a task. Five loaves, two small fishes. Gentlemen, you take these and you feed all of those people. You talk about an impossible task in and of themselves. They could not do it. Can, can I point out to you that God didn't have to use the disciples? Do you realize that God could have just made bread and fish appear in the laps of the people? They could, wow, wow, where did this come from? And there it was, all they wanted. You, you realize that God, because he's God, he could have made that food appear in their bellies. 
right there in their stomach. They wouldn't have even had to eat it. God could do that. That would have been an amazing miracle. But for whatever reason, God said to those 12 disciples, you go feed the people. You realize God can accomplish the Great Commission all by himself if he so desired, but that's not his will. That's not his plan. He has said to you and I, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What a privilege. What an amazing thing. I don't necessarily understand it all, but I'm glad that God gives me the opportunity to be involved in something as amazing as the miracle of going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature. So we need to do this, strive, because it's God's command, because it's God's plan, number three, because striving is expected. It's just part of living on this side of eternity. We've already talked about the fact that he says to go. In Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatsoever the hand findeth to do, God says, do it with thy might. Strive for it. This is worth working for. Jesus, we talked about the other day, when he heals the boy with unclean spirit, he said, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. That's it. Strive for it. Colossians says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. We don't live on a playground. We live on a battlefield. We have to strive for the impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Strive for it. Why else should we strive for it? Because, well, number four, it's God's delight to save souls. You know, when we get involved in this and we start striving to see souls saved around the world, we're as close to the heart of God as you get. Because God is a God who would have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. The Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm so glad that you and I cannot witness to the wrong person. I'm glad I don't have to go up to somebody and say, Well, I'm not sure if you're chosen or not, but just in case, let me give you this message, and maybe if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. No, with all confidence, I can say, God wants you to be saved. And if you'll call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That's worth striving for. Here's another reason, number five, because it's our privilege. By the way, not just our duty. It's our privilege to be involved in the Great Commission, to get to partner with God, to be used of God, to see his power in our lives, to be his servant. Oh, what a privilege that is. But I need to hurry. One last thing I'll mention here. Why should we strive for the impossible? Because God's worthy. God's worthy of us striving for the impossible because he's told us to. Whatever we do, whether we eat, drink, or whatsoever we do, we're to do it to the glory of God. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. I also thought about Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 says, After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man can number, of all nations and kindred and people and tongues stood before the throne, and they praised him. You know, I don't know about you, but I try to imagine what it's going to be like that day. And when we're standing there and we're praising him, people from all nations and kindreds and tongues and tribes, 
I want to be able to look around and see that there are some folks there because of me. I want to praise him myself, but I want to take as many people with me as I can so they also can praise him for who he is. What a day that's going to be. You say, Brother Snyder, that's a pretty big task. Yeah, it's an impossible task. Can I take you back to our text now to close this out? Luke chapter number 18, for verse 25, for it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Since I've had this theme this year, I've carried a sewing needle in my Bible and here in Luke chapter number 18. Gentlemen, I think you have a picture back there. I hope you can put it up because you guys out there in the auditorium probably can't see this in my, in my hand. So that's my hand. That's this same needle picture. I hope it's not pixelated too much. Hopefully you can see it. But I really do, guys, right? There's, there's something in my hand. You, you guys can barely see it. Um, here's a question. Look at the picture. I, and I'm putting this up here right at the end because I want this picture to go with you when you leave today of this needle. Have you ever thought what it'd be like for a camel to go through there? Now, listen, here's, here's the thing. Guess what? God can. God can put a camel through that hole right there. Wouldn't you like to see that? I would. I mean, that would be amazing. We could start all kinds of new theology on how we think God would put a camel through that needle's eye. We could have all kinds of church splits over that one. I'm sure that would be a great, great thing to discuss. I know. I have my own thoughts about it. I can tell you, after, tell you afterwards if you really want to know. I just got to be honest with you, though. I'm not so sure I'll ever see God put a camel through that eye of that needle. But, you know, here's what I want you to see. <laughs> Think about this being your life. This needle is your life. You say, Brother Snyder, I'm not that thin. Well, I'm not either. <laughs> After Chef Marco's ministering to me this week, I'm a bigger missionary now than when I got here, so <laughs> I, can, I can identify. That's what happens when there's too much good food around. But you know what? Think about this being your life. You realize God wants to put something, take something that's impossible, and through you, do something that you can't do. And I don't think I'm ever going to get to see a camel go through the eye of a needle. But I can tell you I've seen God do some impossible things through my life. And here's the encouraging thing. God wants to do the same thing in your life. What impossible thing is it that comes into your mind right now that you think God wants you to do? I don't know if it's being a pastor, being an evangelist. I hope it's being a missionary. But whatever it is, whatever it is that God wants you to do, you say, man, that is impossible. That God can never do that with my life. Well, that's like saying, you know what? God can't get a camel through the eye of this needle. And I just read, God can. You say, where, where do you see that at? Well, verse 25, for it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 27 the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And it's as if Jesus is saying, let me show you this. <laughs> Chapter 19, right there where you are. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? Verse 2, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans, and he was what? Rich. 
just a few verses later, Jesus declares that salvation has come to him and to his house. Jesus does the impossible. And I'm so glad that he wants to do the impossible through you and through me. What an amazing thought to know. God can do it by himself, but he's chosen to give you and I a part in achieving the impossible because he can.